Each Sunday, a significant portion of our worship service is devoted to teaching a passage of the Word of God. And our passage today is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to uh, follow along on your phone. You're also welcome to take a Bible uh, from our resource table, and you can get up and grab one right now if you don't have one. But as you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you're new to the Bible, the large numbers on the page are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are called verses, and we'll be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 of the second letter from Paul to Timothy, so called Second Timothy. And uh, we just started preaching through this book last week. We preached all of chapter 1, and uh, this week we'll take chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I encourage you as you turn there to leave your Bible open uh, after I read the passage, because typically we spend a lot of time looking back at the passage over and over and over again. And so you'll be best served, I think, by having the Bible open, and you can see basically where we're getting what we're saying uh, through a passage of the Bible. Let me read aloud 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You're welcome to follow along silently as I read aloud. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Perhaps you've heard of an individual named Florence Chapman who lived uh, from the early 19-teens until about 1995. And in the early 1950s, she sought to swim from Catalina Island just off of California, just off as in 26 miles away from California's uh, main coast. Uh, And she was going to seek to swim from the Catalina Island all the way over to about Long Beach, California, about a 26-mile distance And so she'd been preparing for this uh, for many years. She had swum other very long distances in her life, but I believe this was going to be the longest she had tried. And uh, she jumped into the water. She was surrounded by small boats that were filled with people who were watching for sharks, very pleasant thought, and were making sure that she was able to uh, accomplish this mission. Well, as she got going, uh, eventually a deep fog settled in, as often happens on the coast of California. And she was not able to see where she was going. And so she swam and she swam and she swam. But eventually she said, I think I've got to give up. And her mom was in the boat right in front of her saying, no, you've got this. You can keep going. Keep pursuing this amazing goal. You can do it. And the crowd in those couple of boats around her were cheering for her and just seeking to encourage her all the way to the end. About a mile later, she said, I've got to give up. I cannot go any further. So she got into one of the boats, and then the fog cleared, and they realized they were only about a mile away from the shore. She had made about 25 of the 26 miles of this mission. Our passage today is Timothy hearing from Paul, keep going. Don't give up. You're almost there. Even though you can't see the finish line yet, It's got to be just around the corner, so keep pursuing the goal that you have. But like Florence Chapman, we are tempted to give up when the going gets tough. And so for us as Christians, often 
it becomes difficult for us to keep fighting our sin or to keep enduring the same trial, the same lot in life that God has given to us, whatever that may be, a difficult child, a difficult uh, husband and wife relationship, a difficult job opportunity, people who make fun of you because you call yourself a Christian, financial difficulties, not being able to know how you're going to pay a certain bill over and over again, And we could keep going with this list of difficulties, but whatever those difficulties are in your situation, you know that often they tempt you to give up and to say it may not be worth it to follow Jesus after all. But in this passage, Paul tells Timothy to hold fast to the gospel by relying on Christ. Hold fast to the gospel. Keep going in the gospel and keep taking the gospel. Keep the gospel going in your own life and keep taking the gospel from one generation to the next. So hold fast to the gospel by relying on Christ. And Paul gives Timothy four reasons to rely on Christ. We as Christians need to rely on Christ because, first of all, in verse 1, His grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. The grace of Christ is sufficient. You see in verse 1 where he says, You then, my child. And he's referring with that then or therefore to the commands that he gave back in chapter 1 in verse 13 where he said to follow the pattern of the sound words. And in verse 14, to guard the good deposit. And he's saying in light of these commands, the significance of the task in front of you, keep going. You then, in light of what important task you have, here's what you need to do, be strengthened. He refers to Timothy as his child, which reminds us of chapter 1, Verse 2, where he says to Timothy, my beloved child, not that they were humanly related, but that Paul had nurtured and raised Timothy in the gospel faith, had made sure he had all of his T's crossed and all of his I's dotted just the right way theologically so that then Timothy would be able to pass those crossed T's and dotted I's onto the next generation who would then be able to, to do the same. And he says to be strong, but is actually in a, a passive Uh, voice, and so essentially somebody else has to be the one who makes you strong, and he specifically tells you who that is. Be strengthened by Christ, and specifically by the grace that Christ gives you. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve when we actually deserve the exact opposite. So where we deserve, excuse me, where we deserve death, God gives us life. Where we are His enemies, He makes us sons and daughters of the living God. When we deserve separation from God, He gives us peace with God. When we deserve hell, He gives us heaven. And when we are guilty, He makes us righteous all by this grace. And what this reminds us is that salvation is a gift, not a reward. You get rewarded when you go to work and you do what you're supposed to do and you get a paycheck. That's your reward. But we don't get a paycheck from God. We get eternal life from God, not because we've done our job, but because of His own work and His own mercy in Christ's righteousness given to us because Christ was our sacrifice on the cross. So salvation is a gift, not a reward. And grace starts the Christian life and continues and sustains the Christian life. Our need for grace doesn't stop after we've been converted it's only just begun, and we just, uh, during the offering, just heard uh, played Amazing Grace, and one of the verses says, we've only just begun this Christian life, and grace is what takes us all the way home. God's grace also transforms us. 
It's what makes us more like Christ from one day to the next, from one degree of glory and, and likeness to Christ to the next. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us. And perhaps most importantly in this context, grace is what sustains us. Grace is what keeps you going when you want to give up. It's what sustains us. And Paul tells Timothy to be sustained, be strengthened by this very grace that is in Christ. So the first reason to rely on the grace of Christ is because His grace is sufficient for you. And Paul reminds us of that in a number of other passages. But secondly, rely on the grace of Christ because in verse 2, the truth must go on. Paul tells Timothy that what you have heard from me, so Timothy has received a gospel deposit, as using the language back in verse 14 of chapter 1, he's received it from Paul, and now Timothy is supposed to take that and disseminate it broadly to other Uh, faithful men, he says. And what he's specifically referring to is what he writes about in the letter to Titus, which is the next letter in the Bible, and specifically going to new places, planting new churches, and seeing those churches strengthened by a group of faithful men who are called elders who teach the Bible to those people in that church so that they can go and take the Bible and teach it to people in other churches. And it's a total coincidence, and I mean that in every way, that in your bulletin today, I just want to point this out because we do it on purpose, okay? We try to do things deliberately, but on the sermon notes page at the very bottom each week, there's something called a core commitment, and this week it's specifically equipping leaders. And we have 11 or 12 of these on our website, and each week I just plug in the next one, and last week I believe it was equipping families, and this week it's equipping leaders. And so I was encouraged when we put together the bulletin this week because of that quote-unquote coincidence, but it encourages us that that is one of the reasons we are here, is to help other people learn the gospel so they can go help other people learn the gospel. And we do this in a lot of different ways. One of those is happening right now in this room, and you're a part of it. We're trying to teach you the Word every single week, how to read it yourself, which is why we just take one passage after another so you can say, I can do this. I can read this over and over again and come up with these same principles there's, there's truth here, it's clear, and I can do this. And so we're trying to equip you. We also do this through what we call our men's theological book study, typically from August to November and from about January through March or April. And we read a, a thick, heavy book, heavy in terms of number of pages typically, and heavy in terms of the content of it. But we do that because we have people like Mike Ducanel, we have people like Nathan Gibson, we have people like Scott DeHaas, we have people like Josh Wilkes, we have people like Dave Cartwright, we have people like Eddie Traeger and Clayton Sanderson and John Gonzalez, and we can go on and on. And what I'm saying is we have people we need to give the gospel to because while many of those whom I just mentioned will not be elders in our church, I fully expect that they will be in other churches. And we're actually as even indicated by the way I prayed earlier, far more concerned that the gospel gets to China and gets to Joliet and gets to Schaumburg than we are making sure that it's safe here. We need to do that. We have to start there, but it needs to go from there. And so what Paul is telling Timothy to do is make sure that it's strong where you are and that it gets elsewhere. Because again, as we said last week, we're always just one generation from the gospel stopping in a certain place when clear preaching and clear teaching of the gospel fails. Perhaps you recall that in 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives Timothy uh, the qualifications of an elder. Who is qualified to be an elder and on what basis? Is it because they have their own company and they've proven themselves to be uh, very hardworking and they prove themselves to be very good with finances and they take care of um, their responsibilities? Well, no. 
is that they take care of their family well, is that they know the gospel well, is that they, have, they bear the fruit of the Spirit. And those are what's required for deacons. Those are what's required for every Christian. Which of those qualifications should every Christian not be seeking to pursue? But the one qualification that sets apart elders in that list in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 is that they're able to teach. And here you see him say, Find faithful men who will be able to teach. Same word. And you see down in chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must be able to teach. Those are the three places in the, in the whole Bible where those three words are used like that. And it's Paul using them in all three instances to Timothy and saying, find people who are able to teach so that the gospel can keep going, so that then they can hold fast to the gospel by relying on Christ. And this is necessary because the truth must go on. And when he uses this word entrusting, it's the idea of those Christians in Soviet Russia in the 19, probably 60s and 70s and probably 80s who were trying to get Bibles to Christians throughout Russia. And sometimes they did that by means of smuggling them in across, uh, across lines on the map, so to speak. But sometimes they did that by starting to set up their own printing presses and their own creative ways of getting the gospel from one place to the next. But what would often happen was you'd have one person kind of undercover carrying a Bible under his winter coat and taking it to another person who would then sneak it under his winter coat and take off and hand it off to somebody else who would do the same thing over and over again. And eventually would get from one city or from one town or one village to another. And after that has happened enough times, it's finally given that deposit is dropped off for the person who was intended to receive that Bible. And what's happening there is you have someone entrusting that copy of the Bible to somebody else. Once person A handed off that Bible to person B, he didn't follow him and look over his shoulder the whole time to make sure that he actually got it all the way there. That would give it away. He entrusted it to him. He handed it off and said, now you go hand it off. And that's the same thing that we are seeking to do with the gospel message here. We have to make sure we get the gospel right so that the truth can go on. So four reasons to rely on Christ. The first is because His grace is sufficient. The second is because the truth must go on. And the third in verses 3-6 through is because suffering is a necessary part of gospel ministry. That means you need to rely on Christ because you're going to suffer. This is part of ministry, part of the Christian life. So suffering is a necessary part of gospel ministry. As part of that suffering, you need the devotion of a soldier in verses 3 and 4. You need the devotion of a soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ because no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. A soldier is someone who sees that the cause is bigger than his own personal convenience. That's why you're willing to go and stand next to a dumpster in Afghanistan to make sure there's nobody dropping a bomb in that dumpster. This is why you you leave your family behind when you're sent overseas for a particular mission that you probably can't even tell your own family about. So a soldier sees that the cause is bigger than his personal convenience. And we see this in the Bible when David calls Uriah home. This is a total sub-sub-sub issue in that story. But you see David call Uriah home and say, we want you to just go home and have a weekend of R&R. And Uriah's like, while my soldiers are out on the field? No way! And he goes back and eventually is killed for his faithfulness, for his devotion to that, that cause. 
by his own king, killed by his own king. But he was not going to enjoy the pleasures of life for his own personal gain at the expense of devotion to the cause. Even in an uh, athletic sense, you can, you can see that, that this kind of mentality was uh, driven home at the, to the Northwestern football team during the fall of 2020. I might have told you about this, but that was the season when they, they actually canceled the Big Ten season. They canceled all the games in probably August or so, and then eventually late that fall they brought them back and gave each team something like eight games uh, just in the Big Ten. They didn't have any fans in the stands. But uh, what they also laid out was that if your team gets COVID, you're going to forfeit that game. If you have some players, a certain number of players, there's a certain threshold, say five players or something like that, who get COVID, you're going to forfeit that game. It's, it's an automatic loss if your team forces a game to be, to be canceled. And there was one team in college football, in big-time college football, that did not have any positive COVID tests from, say, July or August when practices start through their bowl game, and it was Northwestern. Go, you Northwestern. Down with you, Wisconsin Badgers. But nonetheless, um, or Tennessee Volunteers, or whoever else you guys said you cheer for. The point was, the coach told them every time they played a game, today we play Nebraska, and today we play COVID. So after we win this game, don't go celebrate. Don't go home to your families. Just go home and win that game because we're going to come back and beat Ohio State next week or whoever they lost to that year. But what I'm saying is they were willing to set aside partying. They were willing to set aside post-game celebrations so that they could win. And this is what Paul is calling Timothy to do, to tell people to suffer like a soldier, to lay aside personal convenience. He says that a soldier, in verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. They don't get entangled. That means they don't see other soldiers marching off to battle and decide to check their fantasy football scores or go make sure they're the first one to the clearance rack at Target. They just are concerned about the task that's in front of them and they set aside the other matters of life that could entangle them. And for us as Christians, this means we have to go to war with our sin. We have to go to war with the pursuit of worldliness. We even at times have to recognize that our jobs could entangle us from faithful ministry, from serving our families well, from serving our churches and our communities well. Perhaps we want to pursue a promotion, but we realize that it's becoming too big of an issue. And so we say, you know what, somebody else can do that. I don't actually need that promotion if I get that promotion, it's going to affect the way I serve my family or it's going to affect the way I serve my church, so I'm going to set that aside. Sometimes we have to set aside our hobbies or other pursuits in order to not be entangled so we can be a faithful servant, a faithful soldier. The reason you refuse to get entangled is because your one job, in verse 4, is to please the one who enlisted him. Your one job is to please your commander as a Christian, that is Jesus and this passage makes me think of Psalm 19, verse 14. That we want our words and our meditations, our thinking, to be pleasing to the Lord, to be acceptable in His sight. This makes me think of 2 Corinthians 5, 9, where Paul also writes, we make it our aim to please Him, whether we are at home or we are away. In other words, whether we're alive or whether we're dead. We're here for one reason, to please Jesus. And so I'm going to make it my aim to do that. You also need the discipline of an athlete in verse 5. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And so we as Christians play by the rules. We don't cheat. We go through all the preparation, in other words, to get ready for various kinds of ministry, whatever that may mean. And I've told you before about the work ethic of Michael Phelps, who knew his swimming routines so well that in one Olympic race when his goggles got fogged up because of a malfunction with his goggles, he was able to win a gold medal with his eyes closed because he knew exactly where the wall was, because he had done it so many times, both in real life and in his sleep. He knew exactly where he was at every second of that race, where he could make the turns he needed to with perfect precision and set a world record with his eyes closed. How do you do that? Because every single day he did his job. And this is what Paul is calling us to do as Christians, is to have the discipline of an athlete. Corporately, or as a church, as a group, as a church family, we do this by doing the same things every single week. That's what it means for us to play by the rules. We don't get creative and say, this week we should spice it up and add X, Y, or Z. We preach, we pray, we read the Bible, we take the Lord's Supper, we, we joyfully uh, baptize new Christians, and we preach the gospel. We take the gospel to our neighborhood and to the world. And this is playing by the rules. And this is why we're having a soccer camp this week. Because we love our city. We want kids to enjoy their lives and to have new skills. We want parents to be able to go shop at Target in peace while their kids are running around on a field being supervised by other people. And we want to teach them the gospel. And so that's why every week or every day this week for 10 or 15 minutes, Dwayne Summersell is going to teach the gospel to these kids, these 20 or so children who come to our soccer camp. And hopefully some of their parents are standing nearby in the shade and hearing the gospel too. That's us playing by the rules. That's us doing what we need to do to faithfully pass the gospel on. So we aren't giving in to gimmicks to get people to make a decision. We're telling people the truth so we can make disciples, which is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Suffering is a necessary part of gospel ministry. You need the devotion of a soldier, you need the discipline of an athlete, and you need the expectation of a farmer. A farmer is someone who works stinking hard, again, every single day. It's someone who is patient. It's someone who gets up early, usually before the sun does, who finds solutions to endless problems, like when your tractor breaks, or when you find out that your bag of seed tore, or on and on, and you solve that problem and you solve the next problem and you wait patiently, you work long hours, you recognize that some elements of farming are outside of your control, so you do the things well that are inside your control and you wait for the reward. That's the point of this metaphor here or this analogy is that the farmer gets to have the first share of the crops. He knows that at the end of the season there will actually be sweet corn or there will actually be pumpkins to sell at a pumpkin patch, or whatever else he's growing, there is a reward at the end, and he gets part of it. Farmers are providers, not primarily consumers. Yes, of course, they, they eat things that they don't grow themselves, or at least most farmers do that. And we too must pray for God to make us those kinds of Christians, people who are providers, not just consumers. People who choose our church based on not how it makes us feel or the opportunities it gives us, but a church based on, on one that preaches the truth and gives us, yes, opportunities to serve and provide for others. And you might say, 
Well, that all sounds great for you elders and all. Like, yeah, you elders need to be disciplined and you elders need to be devoted and you need to have patience and expectation of a reward at the end of ministry that the Bible regularly gives to elders. But how does this help the average Christian? Or in other words, how does this passage, this call for you to be devoted and disciplined and ready for a reward or expecting a reward, patiently waiting, how does this help the average Christian? Well, I would say that all of us are called by Jesus himself in Luke 9 when he says to take up your cross and follow him, that he actually expects that there will be a sense of devotion, a sense of discipline, and a sense of expectant waiting And so we are all called to this kind of Christian life, actually. And so one way that you, as as the average Christian, and I am an average Christian except for the fact that the Lord has given me the responsibilities He has here at this time and place. But we give financially. We give of our time. We open up our homes to let other people come, whether they be Christians so we can encourage them, or non-Christians so we can befriend them and show them the love of Christ and have conversations about the hard parts of their lives and connect them to the truth of the gospel. So we, that's what's one way we can be devoted in our ministry as individual Christians. We can teach classes, or we can write notes, or we can call each other, or we can visit the homebound, or you can send a text to someone, or you can engage with the children and the young people here. These are all ways that you can be devoted to the cause of following Christ. And third, you can learn the gospel backwards and forwards so that we can pass it on to others, so we don't distort the message somehow by adding something to it or subtracting something from it, saying more or less than the simple gospel truth. And again, we have resources on the table. I'd be happy to send you some podcasts you could listen to or other resources that you can take advantage of to help you in all three of those ways. What it looks like to use my resources well, to be a generous Christian, whatever that looks like in my situation in life, to serve in a variety of ministries in our church and in our community and to learn the gospel backwards and forwards. So there are four reasons we need to rely on Christ. The first is because His grace is sufficient in verse 1. The second is because the truth must go on in verse 2. The third is because suffering is a necessary part of gospel ministry in verses 3 through 6. And the fourth is because He alone gives us understanding. This is verse 7. And so even this command at the beginning of verse 7 to think over what Paul has told Timothy is a reminder that part of the Christian life is using our minds well, learning how to think well, being disciplined in the way that we think. And so this reminds us of the importance of careful reflection and careful meditating. And so I'd encourage you to use a journal to help you track what you're thinking about, and what God is speaking to you about through His Word. I would encourage you to go for walks, whether it be just down this bike path or in your own neighborhood, uh, the streets there, or in a uh, forest preserve or at the botanical garden or anywhere else where you can be alone and let your thoughts kind of rise to the surface. And maybe you're walking around anxious all the time and you're not sure why. And when when you're walking around silently by yourself, a lot of those reasons that you've been anxious begin to come to the surface and kind of bubble up and you can say, oh, this is really nagging at me and I need to deal with this biblically. And maybe part of that is going to mean I need to talk to another Christian at my church about this so that I know how to think about this rightly. So use a journal, go for walks, arrive early at church to find a quiet place to pray or stay late to have a quiet place to pray. But 
The Lord alone is the one who gives us understanding, and so we need to take time to think carefully. And even this idea that the Lord will give you understanding, is remember that this is itself a gift. Knowing what the Bible is saying and how to interpret it, which the reason Timothy needed wisdom was because Paul was, was uh, using metaphors and he was using analogies and he wanted to make sure that, that Timothy got the point of this. And we need God's grace for that as well. But I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn forward probably one page or maybe two pages to chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, and see that Paul himself practiced what he preached. When he says, with those three analogies that we've just looked at, to be like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, he says, I myself have done that. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. That's being a soldier. I have finished the race by competing according to the rules as an athlete. And I have kept the faith. In other words, as a farmer, I have patiently persevered. I have waited for those seeds to sprout up and bear the fruit that we have been waiting for. Give the visible evidence of the progress that's been happening invisibly under the ground all this time. And we as Christians need to continue to plant seeds and water seeds and then wait. Because the Lord is the one who's doing invisible things behind the scenes that we can't even begin to understand. As theologian and former pastor John Piper once said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life at one time, and you're probably aware of three of them. And that's basically what it's like in our own church right now. There are 10,000 things happening behind the scenes in each one of our hearts, in each one of our uh, desires for the Lord and our struggles with our sin and our endurance through suffering. And we need to wait patiently. We need to keep the faith that eventually those seeds are going to grow up and bear gospel fruit. One of the other messages that this passage just implicitly tells us by encouraging you to have a single-minded devotion in the discipline of an athlete and the patient expectation of a farmer is that we don't have time to waste time. And this, again, is why we're doing something like a soccer camp. We're not just out here to play games. Yes, we're going to play a game called soccer or football, but... The reason we're doing that is because we don't have time to waste time. God has put us in this place to teach the people who live around here the gospel. And that's what we are here to do. So we aren't going to waste time. And what Paul would have told Timothy is what Jim Elliot has told us as Christians, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What's something you can't keep? Your life. Your money. Your time. You can't keep those. You're going to die. And all those things at that point are gone and worthless to you. No one has ever walked out of a grave and said, I just wish I had more cash right now. It's totally worthless. That piece of paper means nothing anymore. So you're no fool to give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. And what Paul would say to Timothy is what he says to us as well, is to keep taking the gospel, keep holding fast to the gospel, keep going in the gospel. Months after that first failed attempt, Florence Chapman tried again to swim from the Catalina Island to the shore of California, and she made it. She knew mentally what the shoreline looked like from that first time she had failed. 
And that motivated her to keep going all the way to the end. And so when Paul says to Timothy that only those who finish the race and compete according to the rules will receive the reward, what he's really saying is that because of the gospel, we know that there is a day when we will be given the crown of righteousness, the crown of eternal life, because we have kept on going all the way to the end. And so Christian, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. And non-Christian, I want to tell you that this grace which strengthens Christians is the grace that's available to you as well when you will open your arms to the free grace of Jesus Christ and repent of your sin. The Lord will promise, promises to forgive your sin as well. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize how desperately we need Your grace for our lives. We recognize it because we have failed You, because temptations bombard us, sometimes in unexpected ways, sometimes in very predictable ways that we have grown accustomed to over the long course of our lives. We're also aware of our need for grace because of how hard it can be to follow faithfully and to pass the gospel on faithfully. We pray that Brainerd Avenue Baptist Church would faithfully be a place where the gospel advances, where we take the truth and we ourselves grasp onto it and hold onto it and make sure that we are weeding out bad ideas about what the gospel is, but then going on and passing on the truth to the next generation. We pray we'd do that faithfully by your grace alone. In Christ's name, amen.